It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. You know, earlier in the week, we were in John 7, then John 8, and I love in John 7 how Jesus says that he is the bread of life, and the one that takes of this bread, the bread of life, and the Lord of life, Jesus Christ, will live forever, and he will never leave or forsake them. Well, this is Alex McFarland along with Bert Harper, and the show is Exploring the Word. Today is a very special day of the week for Exploring the Word. We call it Fire Away Friday. And Bert, we love to get to these Bible questions. And folks, uh, I'm looking at the the board. Uh, All the lines are open. So you may be the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. The number to call is 888-589-8840. And Bert and I will do our best to give an answer to your Bible questions. This is a Fun day of the week, isn't it? It is, and we want to do that. We want to glorify the Lord, but you can glorify the Lord and having fun at the same time. So (laughs) we love to do that and love to hear your questions and Bible questions. Uh, They're so important to us. And, man, the lines are lighting up, so get that. Wow. It is ready to go, and we appreciate that, Alex. And let's let's see. Uh, You think we can answer some of these questions? We're going to do our best, folks, 888-589-8840, toll-free on the American Family Radio Network. We go to our first call of today's edition. This is uh, Cindy in Kansas. Cindy, uh, welcome to the program. Well, let me see here. Mike, Bert, my screen just went blank. Okay, let me Can do you that. make it work? Yeah, okay. I'll do it. Cindy, there. Yeah, there you go, Cindy. Welcome. Welcome to myself. I'm glad to get on. Well, I'm glad you're on. I appreciate you. You're the first caller today, so you did it good. All right. Well, I have a thousand questions, but this one in particular, um, because it's been asked of me because of a, a church that someone's going to. They have a new pastor that's a lady, and she's a divorced lady. And they're having some issues in their heart with that because because of things that they've read in the scripture. And so I'll just hang up and I'll listen to what you have to say about that. And maybe I can help them understand or something. Okay, Cindy. Thank you. Alex, when you look at the guidelines, qualifications for a pastor, the teaching pastor, the senior pastor, uh, it talks about men first. It says men. And then it says being the husband of one wife, which, you know, it, I, I believe that too. Uh, John MacArthur, a very great, uh, I would say a Greek scholar, says one one woman at a time. But it also says, you know, w- without having some baggage with you. And uh, when that divorce is causing issues in a church, uh, I think you you have two or three things going against you. Uh, You know, again, I would say this is not best. And again, how how would you answer that? Well, uh, God bless you, Cindy. Thanks for asking. Okay, the Bible talks about salvation, but it also talks about how the New Testament church is to be run. And I would encourage people to read 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Very often these are called the pastoral epistles. And just with an open heart, say, Lord, show me your plan for your church. And Bert is right, like in 1st Timothy 3, the pastor is to be a male. So the twofold question, a divorced woman, well, (laughs) divorce doesn't disqualify you necessarily from pastoring, but being a female, not a male, would. And this is not uh, chauvinism or anything like that. It's just God's design for his church. Men and women are equal in worth and value, but unique in function. And I, I believe as I understand the Bible regarding the church, the pastorate is to be male. 
Thank you for that, Cindy. Alex, uh, let me say one more thing. The word is blameless. Uh, When that divorce issue comes up, again, I agree with you fully, but when it comes up within a, a, a congregation, when people are beginning to, you know, you know, the, that issue comes up quite often. And <clears throat> when things get rough, they'll throw it so many times, they'll throw it back in the pastor's face if they have been divorced. And That's true. Uh, again, I, uh, I, what you said is exactly right. And Cindy, we hope that helps. Well, James in Mississippi. Uh, James, are you there? I'm here. Yes. Uh, welcome. You're on Exploring the Word. Thank you. I'd just like to say first, um, I pray all the time that God would bless you and um, Bert and your ministries. And um, my question is, in uh, Revelation, it, it says after the thousand years are over, that Satan will be loose for a little while. And I was just wondering, why come he's going to be loose for a little while? And, and how long do you think the little while will be? Okay, Alex, you go first on that one, yeah. Yeah, this is Revelation 20. 7 through 10. Um, Let me just say this very briefly. There will be people born during the millennial period, peace on earth, and Jesus will be physically present, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. But yet, only God can see the inner recesses of the human heart. And Satan being loosed for a season for a very short while, Bert, I, I happen to think it might even be just a matter of weeks or months. I mean, a very little while, but there will be people there will be people that outwardly... See, in a way, this is a bookend, just like during the physical ministry of Jesus on planet Earth, there were people that could see Christ physically present. He's right there in front of them, and they rejected him, just like we've been reading in John. And Jesus' ministry on Earth, concluding at the end of the millennium, just before the new heavens and the new Earth, there will be a final rebellion, even though... My goodness, what a what a high level of revelation during this millennial age when Satan is let out for just a second, some people still will turn against the Lord. It is amazing that that will happen, and yet, you know, in a perfect environment, you still have to have your heart right. You got that, Alex? Yes. God looks on the heart. That's what he told Jesse when he was looking at his sons, and he said, do you not have another one? And Jesse remembered, oh, yeah, I got another one. His name's David. Go get him. And, uh, and, and immediately, immediately, Samuel knew he was the man. God is not impressed with the outward. He looked straight in the heart. And at that time, that's exactly what God will do. They may have looked in a perfect environment, obeyed, did what was right, but you got to have your heart right with God. So thank you, you James. Do. Mark in Texas. Mark, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you both. Uh, My question is in relation to the uh, two witnesses mentioned in Revelations that will be there in the end times. So uh, first, I kind of find it funny that it sounds like they're in heaven right now uh, with the bodies they have in heaven, but then they'll be sent back in more of a human body because they'll die and then be sent back and then come alive again, and then at that point in time, they won't die. And I personally believe that they're the two people in the Bible that didn't physically die. So if that's the case, is there something, can you speak on that Mm -hmm. first point, and then can you also speak on the point of maybe they still have a, a time appointed to them to actually physically die, and they're being sent back to fulfill that? Mark, great question, and you did a wonderful job of phrasing it. Bert, um, if it were two biblical figures that never did physically die yet, is that perhaps why some commentators think it might be Enoch and Elijah? Enoch and Elijah are the two. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. And then Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, separated by the chariot. The only other one that usually comes into the mix of the two and when I saw Mark's question, I heard it, I wrote three names down, Enoch, Elijah, and Moses. The wow. reason some yeah. people think it's Moses and Elijah is the law and the prophets, and also concerning who appeared with him, uh, you know, at, at the transfiguration. 
But also, I would say this. It says that God buried Moses. It doesn't say uh, they buried him. God buried him. So, uh, But I'm, I'm with Mark. I lean toward Enoch and Elijah because of that, of what he said. That's me. Wow. Good question. Well, uh, still in Texas, Paul. Paul in Texas, welcome to the program. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you guys for taking my call. And um, real quick, um, thank you for all you do. I love listening to your program every day. Um, well, bless you. And happy Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there that Amen. Uh, their lives hey, for our country. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a time out. I wrote that down so I wouldn't forget it. All those men and women who have served in the armed forces, thank you so much. But I want to pass on to another group, the families of those men and women who served. So we say a big thank you from Exploring the Word, don't we, Alex? We do. We love the veterans. And, Paul, thanks for mentioning that. So so I have a question. Can I still ask it? Yeah, <laughs> sure, go sure. ahead, man. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. So in Genesis, uh, Jacob, uh, he's the one that had the brother, Esau, that he stole the birthright from and the blessing from his father. Um. He, it's, I don't remember exactly what chapter it is, but he goes off and then God blesses him, right? And then he travels and goes to marry um, a couple of women. And then he has, anyways, long story short, the question I have is God changes his name to Israel is what I remember. And I'm just wondering if that's the case, why do we still re- refer to him as Jacob? Like, <laughs> Hey, hey, you know, that's the same way Meshach, uh, you know, and Abednego, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they had their proper names, uh, you know, Israel names, and they changed it. But Daniel had too, but we always call Daniel, Daniel, and the three others we shall call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I, I think Jacob, he so much of the stories that we hear about him is when he was called Jacob. And it kind of mm-hmm. sticks with you. You know what I mean, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we'll talk about uh, the Apostle Paul, and here was Saul of Tarsus, you know. Bert, Jacob, supplanter. I mean, when you think of somebody getting one over on somebody, heel catcher, supplanter. But his new name, Israel, means one who wrestles with God. Could it be sometimes the, both names are invoked? One referred to his old nature, one referred to his new nature, Bert. I've, I've heard that. It does. And I, I, Paul, I think Israel would be better used, his new nature. God changed. We want to honor the change that God makes in anyone's life. We're going to be back with more questions right after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for General Bradley Chance Saltzman, Chief of Space Operations for the United States Space Force. He oversees the Armed Forces Branch that conducts military operations in outer space. Deuteronomy 31.6 reminds us of the protection God gives us. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for General Saltzman as he leads our nation's space force. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says too many people these days are trying to create God in their own image. But in John 8, 58, Jesus put that idea in its place by using the name God gave himself way back in Moses' day. We'll discover why that's so significant as we spend two minutes with Tony. Jesus is saying... I am. Well, he doesn't just say I am. He says, I am that I am. It means that God is who he declares himself to be. I am that I am. In other words, I define me by me. I am that I am. So why do you need to know that? Because what that means is I am not what you want me to be. I am not what you demand that I be. I am who I am. I is who I is. 
okay? What he is saying is, I am self-defining. You ever have anybody in your life who tells you who you are? And you'll say in a minute, you don't know me. You might even roll your neck, you know? You, you, don't, you don't know me. Because they are giving their perspective on who you are, but they only know a portion of who you are. So in order to find out who God is, God must tell you, because he is who he is, he is not who you may want him to be. And a lot of misconceptions about God because men want to define him in man's terms. And he says, no, I am who I am. Learn more about how the Lord defines himself through the various ways he's described in Scripture. Check out Tony's book, The Power of Jesus' Names, available online at TonyEvans.org. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Psalm 14, 2. American Family Radio. Now, back to the Bible study you're listening to, Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus... Triple eight five eight nine. 8840. We still got a line or two open. We're going to try to get to as many questions today as we can. Alex and I love to do that. We love to talk with you. So if you have a Bible question, please call us 888 With that in mind, where did we go, Alex? How about we visit Kentucky and we'll speak with Mark in Kentucky. Welcome. How are you doing this afternoon? Good. Good to have you. Uh, I was listening to uh, Adrian Rogers and him quite regular, and one of his sermons it says how to run the race of how to run like a champion. And his he says that uh, he believes that the people in heaven are watching us and praying for us. And uh, I've had some people say they didn't agree with that, but I just wondered what your thoughts on that would be. Okay, we're talking about uh, Hebrews twelve, surrounded by say, so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I know this. We are talking about people that have gone before us because you read that in chapter 11, and Alex, it talks about all those great men and women of faith. Now, are they watching from heaven? I I have heard uh, this illustration about, you know, like a cross-country person or a, long di- a marathon runner. When the marathon runner finishes the course, he runs into the stadium like they do, like in the Olympics. And now they've been out there running for that 20-something miles going at it, you know, and nobody's been watching. But as they finish that race, around in that Coliseum is a great crowd of witnesses cheering them on as they finish the race. Now, I love that illustration that we are surrounded by witnesses, that they know everything that's going on. I, I have my doubts about that as well. But when we're finishing our race, the angels come and transports that soul from this place to heaven. I would not be surprised. I, I think it's true that at that point in time, there's a crowd of witnessing, cheering us on, and bringing us home. Alex, go ahead. Well, yeah, that Hebrews 11 speaks about uh, the the cloud of witnesses. And at the very least, it's those that have gone on ahead. And maybe somehow, like Burke alluded to from the grandstands of heaven, people are able to see us. But we remember God is watching and very, very possibly some of the host of heaven as well. So we need to run the race faithfully. But uh, down in Texas, Catherine from Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. I have a question, please. I'm a member and supporter of AFR, but I well, we am... want to say thank you then, Catherine. Thank you so much. Go ahead. My my pleasure. You're my lifeline. <laughs> I don't miss Dr. McFarland. Uh, I am, for all practical purposes, I'm in my late 80s and I am housebound. I really miss being able to go to communion. We have a chaplain here. I live in a retirement community, and he serves communion once a year at Easter, and it's perfunctory. I listen to Dr. Alan Jackson and all of my other teachers uh, on 
Channel 11, and they seem to indicate in their, when they're serving communion to their uh, congregation that those of us who are listening to him are welcome to join. Could you please give me an opinion on that? Amen, Catherine. Mm. Well, I want to just tell you, I uh, do you have. Let me ask you this, Catherine. Do you have a home church nearby, a church where your membership still is, Catherine? Bert, I don't know if she can. Catherine, are you there? Yes. Okay, Catherine. Do, do, do you have a church home where your membership still is? I do, but I live ten miles from it. Okay, I still, I would call the pastor or a deacon or an elder, whichever ones you have, and say, would you please come and worship with me and let's share in communion in my room. That's what I would do. I would do it quickly. Uh, I want to just tell you, Alex, the first time we did this at the church where I pastored and we went, when we were serving uh, the Lord's Supper at church, we decided we're going to go to the homebound and our deacons came early, and they went out. We prayed over it. They went out to the homebound and to the nursing homes and shared communion. And I want to just tell you, it was one of the highlights of their lives, and it was a highlight of the deacons' lives. It really was. I think it was great. Go ahead. Well, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, when it says, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, it's talking about a collective noun and really, the Lord's table and communion is for the body of Christ. And I'm with Bert. When you can take communion in the context of your local church, or maybe one of the ministers of your local church come out, that's ideal. But you know, Bert, um, when I was at a Billy Graham function for evangelists some years ago, and there were 10,000 people in an arena, we all took communion together. Even though we were from around the world, we were the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe we'll all do communion together on Exploring the Word one day. I, Amen. But, you know, that would be very special. But, Catherine, if a minister from your home church could come and have just a very special communion time with you, that would be wonderful. But um, it really, it, it does identify us with the local church, but in a much larger sense, it shows our connection to the body of believers worldwide, doesn't it? Bert? It really does. Catherine, you've made our day, That's and you're talking about question. it. I want to say a word. You're talking about AFR being a lifeline to so many people. Our partner in, in broadcasting, Sandy Rios, today was her last day in the mornings that she has. Now, she's not leaving AFR. She's just going to transfer into podcast and being interviewed in place of having the morning show. But I want to go on record and call out and say thank you, Sandy Rios. If you're listening, Sandy, we appreciate Amen. you. She's a warrior. She loves the Lord Jesus, and we say thank you. That's the kind of people that AFR has uh, in their lineup, and we say thank you. Amen. We certainly do. We certainly do well. In my home state of North Carolina, Carl, welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, good afternoon. Uh Real quick, I just want to say that in Genesis, God talks about how he created the world in the six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. How long is a day? Okay. Alex, I, I think, go ahead. Yeah, like in Genesis 1, I actually do think it's a 24-hour literal day. I do as well, Carl. The word in there, I know they've looked at it in the Hebrew, and they can use the Hebrew language for it to mean era. But I honestly believe it is a day. Uh, it is, uh, listen, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, I can't help but believe it's a day for it to be, to make sense. Because yeah. it would, if it were an era, uh, what, how in the world could it develop, Alex, the way, yeah. the way you know, they would think it did. So I think it is the uh, day, 24-hour day. I, I agree. I agree. John in Texas, uh, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Um, yes. My question was related to a discussion I had with my brothers about the patriarchs in Genesis and how it says Seth lived a certain number of years, had a kid, and died. 
and then his son and so on. And they did the same thing for Cain's line, except it never says how old Cain was or even if he did indeed die. So our theorem is whether or not he died before or during the flood. Okay. Yeah, it, it doesn't tell us, Bert, does it? It does not, yeah. but speculation. And sometimes that's all we have, John, to be honest. Uh, Alex and I try to be true to the Scriptures. When the Scripture says it and it's definite, we, we're going to do our best to stick with it. Like the t- day, 24-hour day, uh, the evidence is greater for that. But it does not say, but for him to live that long, uh, I, I doubt it, Alex. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we, we really don't know. I mean, history, there have been theories and things like that, but I'll tell you what we do know. We know that descendants of Cain were very wicked, and they would have been some of the people that were wicked at the time of Noah that really was uh, part of the reason why the flood was necessary because the exceeding wickedness of man. But as far as the specifics of how Cain died, the Bible just doesn't uh, really tell us. Sean in Arkansas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Good to have you, Sean. Uh, thank you very much. Um, my question was, I, I believe it was in uh, Mark 6, where where um, Jesus and his family went to Passover when he was a child, and they thought they were that Jesus was with them going back home, and they realized that he wasn't, but he was missing for three days, and they found him. Does that have any significance with the resurrection? Okay, I, Sean, I'm Alex is more geared to numbers and them having meaning. I, I believe many of them have meaning. I, I just have a hard time putting in everything like that. Alex, it's hard for me to associate the resurrection with his parents being gone in three days. You may find that significant. Go ahead. You know, I, I don't know that I, I'm just saying here, I've never seen a commentary and I've never really been able to sufficiently, for my own curiosity, figure out the meaning other than the fact that there were so many crowds. And it says, you know, Jesus was 12 years old, and they returned. Um, and this this was Passover time festivities in Jerusalem. There would have been so many crowds, and they find him teaching among, many times they'll say, among the doctors, the teachers of the law. And everybody was astonished. And, of course, Mary and Joseph, you know, maybe it was just such a thing that with all the crowds, there were a lot of families. And, you know, I've got to believe Mary and Joseph, when they realized they had misplaced Jesus, that's when they went probably panic-stricken looking for him. Well, but I me, think... Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Well, Alex, I believe it, it's traditional how it happened. Most of the time when they were traveling a lot from Nazareth to Jerusalem... They traveled in groups, the children together, the women traveled together, and the men traveled together. They didn't travel just just those three by themselves and, and with their family. And so what would happen, Mary or Joseph thought, well, they had taken care of Jesus, and he was with the children. And so they assumed that. That was one day. Then they find out about it. They go back, and this time they're on their own. And they go back, and on the third day, find him. Uh, it wasn't necessarily, I just want to make this, it wasn't necessarily carelessness on, uh, on, of course, on yeah, their no. part. I just wanted to make sure we understood that. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, Jock in Florida. Jock, welcome to Explore the Word. Hey, I hope y'all can hear me okay. Uh, I really appreciate both of your uh, ministry, or your lives is a ministry, but exploring missions and apologetics. I just want to thank y'all so much for, for those two mi- um, missions that you're on. But And uh, Romans uh, 8, from 18 to about 21, the manifestation of the sons of God. If you could just hit on that, I really would appreciate it. I'll hang up. Well, thank you, Bert. You know, uh, in Romans 8, 18 through 21, Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And it talks about the earnest expectation of the creation, uh, you know, being delivered from bondage of corruption. Bert, do you have a, a word on this passage? Well, again, what it's saying more than anything else is a comparison. Paul is using a comparison here about 
the sufferings that's in this world and the sufferings that's going to be a part of this world that was created by God and then because of the curse that was placed on it and what's going to take place in the glory. The curse of creation, it is warning. Uh, it was made for it to be perfect. It was made for that, Alex. The Garden of Eden had that. The creation was. It was nothing lacking, but because of sin, it had entered in. And the whole creation groans, verse 22, I think makes it plainer. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. This mm. earth, we, that's the whole idea of the comparison. Go ahead. Well, that, that's true. Just as um, we in Jesus are delivered from the, the stresses and pangs and degradations of a fallen world, ultimately creation itself is going to be redeemed, and how we praise God for that. Well, Julian in Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello? Yes, you're, yes, you're right ahead. Welcome. All right, I'm Julian, and I'll talk to you about two times before, so I don't know if you remember me. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back. Yeah, I had a question. Uh, I'm going to a Christian school now, and um, I have Bible class, and I wanted to know some good tips on uh, how to necessarily, like, how to remember Bible verses correctly, because we have a lot of quizzes, and it can sometimes be a little tough. Well, you're talking to an expert called Alex McFarland. This guy, I'll quote part of a verse, and Alex will complete it and tell us where it is. Alex, how do you do that? Um, Julian, God bless you. My heart is thrilled that you want to memorize Bible verses. I'm going to tell you, when I was in college, I had a professor, and he had us get note cards. You know, you just go to the store for about 99 cents. You can buy a pack of note cards like, you know, three by five index cards, and we would write them down. And I'm, I don't know if this will work for everybody, but just somehow for me, if I wrote it and copied it, and I would put the verse and the, the reference point, you know, Philippians 1, 6 or whatever, somehow or another writing it down helped me memorize it. Bert, did, did, did I, you ever do that? I did, and that's what I did. And again, your memory is much better than mine. You got fantastic recall. God has blessed you with that, Alex. And I know you've worked at it. It's not just something, okay, this is easy. No, you've worked at it and you've developed it. Julian, I believe you can too. Uh, yeah. I, don't, don't, if writing it down really does make a difference. Write it down. And those note cards, review them, don't you, Alex? Yeah, like flashcards. Well, folks, stay tuned. Got a brief break. More questions. Here's that number, 888-589-8840. After this brief break on Veterans Day, Exploring the Word will continue. Stay tuned. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it hurt? It hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. Sometimes you see a win, a glimpse of God in this broken world. Preborn rejoices in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Preborn's mission is to love and help women in unplanned pregnancies by offering them the truth to help them make the right choice by providing free ultrasounds. You see, when an expectant mom hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the image of her baby on ultrasound, she's seeing a life created in God's image, and it's a divine connection. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. To learn more about Preborn's life-saving work, 
go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. While scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers, seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I know the answer to every question, the one solution to every fear. I know my help. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert, so honored that you're all listening to the American Family Radio Network this afternoon. And we're going to keep on with Fireway Friday Bible Questions. Boots in Texas. Welcome, Boots, to the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Great. i got to ask you, Boots, B-O-O-T-S, that's your name, brother? No, it's a nickname. And but that, that... It, it doesn't have anything doesn't have anything to do with Texas or Cowboys. My grand, I'm named after uh, an uncle, and my grandfather, he follows around the river. Right. Well, good to have you. What's your question, friend? Uh, I need some advice. Uh, I'm a widower. I've been dating a lady now for uh, about six months. I've known her a very, very long time, and a very wonderful woman, and I do believe she's saved. I've been saved for a very long time myself, and we got off on it. It it took me by total surprise that we were talking about salvation and baptism, and I I understand where Paul was coming from in Romans, what it takes to be saved. I also know that being having baptism both of the of the water in both cases. I've heard you guys talk about it, and I understand that. The problem I've got and where I need the advice is this woman who, ardent believer, she thinks you got to have both at the same time. You can't be saved without being uh, baptized and vice versa. And I've tried to say, and I've used Scripture to point it out, you need both, but they come individually and separately. I hope my my question makes sense. I just need some advice on how to talk about it because I had to back off. It actually became very, very heated, and I didn't realize it. And it just took me by surprise. So I'll shut up and ask your opinions. Okay, Boots. Thank you, brother. And uh, we pray that God would direct that relationship. I, I just want to give one. This is We've talked about it and talked about it. Salvation. Every time you're talking about salvation— and a person coming to know the Lord, you have the word faith or believe. On two or three occasions, you have that faith and be baptized. But baptism, uh, baptism is not mentioned every time that they're talking about salvation, Alex, but faith in him is. You know, that is the yeah. truth, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah, you know. All right, first of all, when you trust Christ, you are baptized baptized into the body of Christ. That's Galatians 3.27. But then, like Mark 16.16 says, all right, he who believes and baptized will be saved, but he who disbelieves will be lost. So clearly, belief that saves and water baptism are two different things. In fact, you know, um, 
uh, 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul makes it clear that water baptism is something different than saving faith because uh, 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So I would say don't let it get heated, but just pray and uh, try to help. You know, over and over the New Testament says, you know, believe. John 6.40, he who believes will be saved, and I will raise you up at the last day. So it's it's unfortunate that this would be a cause for, you know, argument, but really it's belief that saves, but then water baptism is how we publicly show that to others. Well, uh, staying in Texas, we're going to talk with Patty in Texas. Welcome, yeah. Patty. Oh, yes, hi. Uh, I love your show. It helps me on my commute home from work. And um, I had a question about uh, something that I heard a preacher say. He said that we would be cursed if we did not tithe. Is there anywhere in the Bible that it says that? Okay, Patty, thank you for calling. That's a good question. I guarantee you, you will be blessed when you do. Does that mean you miss out on blessings when you don't tithe? Would that be considered a curse? Uh, I I think you miss out on some of the blessings because the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive, but to having a curse put on you specifically. Alex, is it? could it be from Malachi, you know, when yeah. he talks about that? Uh, but Jesus comes in and and he talks more about the blessing, these things you should have done and not left the others undone. Well, here's the thing. This is Malachi 3, 8, and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Wherein? In tithes and offerings. Now, here's the verse, Malachi 3, 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. But I want to, under, I want to understand, while I believe in tithing and more, and it's been said a Christian under grace should at least do as much as an Israelite under law. Malachi 3, Bert, I think because we're under the new covenant, not the old, I'm going to say this. Um, you are blessed when you tithe. You just are. And maybe part of that blessing is a supernatural protection. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this endlessly. Um, but so, no, I don't think a, a New Testament Christian is under a curse if they don't. Not in Malachi three nine sense, but I do think uh, I'll just say this: if you honor God with your substance, your income, uh, He'll look after you. Yeah. I've seen it, brother. I've just seen. It. Haven't you, Bert? I've seen it again. I've experienced it. I've observed it. God is faithful. Give as unto the Lord. Yes. Okay, we're going to go to Brent in Alabama. We, we like the name Brent because we've got one running the soundboard right now, Brent Austin. But this is Brent in Alabama. Welcome. Okay, actually, it's Brett. Brett. Okay, well, bless you. Well, that, that is so much better. That that just is helpful. So good. go ahead, Brett. <laughs> All right. Oh, let's see. In the Bible, it talks about Jesus being the foundation stone. Uh, and I understand that as, the, you know, they, you had a perfect stone to start your building from, mm -hmm. where you got all your angles. And then there's a story about the stone the builders rejected. They kept stumbling over it, so they rolled it down the hill. And then they kept hunting that. The, the last stone they needed, they couldn't find it. And they remembered that stone that they rolled down the hill. And so that was the head of the corner. So I just want to get y'all's opinion on the Jesus as the foundation stone and the head of the corner. Amen. He is that. He's also the precious stone. He's the capstone. Uh, listen, Brent, that is great. And my opinion is when he was talking to Peter, and he was talking about him, you know, upon this rock, I will build my church. I, I first person believe you need to see some hand motion there. I believe Jesus was pointing to Peter and say, you're Peter, but upon this rock, and he points back to himself, I will build my church. That is the chief foundation. It is Christ and Christ alone. Go ahead, Alex. 
Well, yeah, you know, Romans 9 quotes uh, the Old Testament talking about the the, st- the stone laid in Zion like a cornerstone of a building. First Peter 2, 8 and following says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and uh, really the confession of Christ, uh, Matthew 16, 18, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the, the rock of truth on which we stand. So, you know, I think... Uh, a stone, that is a very apt description of our Lord, who is the the Alpha and Omega. Uh, that's a pretty good description, isn't it? It really is. That's who Jesus is. He's that steady rock. Our dependence is upon him and him alone. In Kentucky, a listener named Brandon. Brandon, welcome to the program. Oh, it's so glad to hear you guys. I just had a, a comment, and before I get to that, um, I'm glad I called when I did. I have a 100-mile drive one way to and from work, and uh, the radio station I get you guys out of has long been, I can't get any more, but staying on the phone, I've got to hear the whole show, so that was pretty cool. Well, but, bless uh, you. Yes, sir. But uh, some uh, previous caller had talked about Genesis chapter 1 and, and the, the, the definition of a day, and I agree with you guys, a 24-hour day, and I think sometimes some people want to take God's Word and and examine it under the light of science rather than taking science and examine it under the light of God's Word. But uh, one thing I had always heard that that I loved about how old is the earth or how long is the day, I was like, well, how old was Adam when he created him? And he was a fully adult male. A a built-in maturity. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. He was only seconds old, but he was fully grown. And I said, there you go. It's a perfect example where you look at the world and, and all its, its sciences try to explain away the supernatural of God's power. And if you just really examine it under the light of God and his word, and you know, and, and think about that. Adam was only seconds old, but yet he was a fully adult. And you see right there a perfect example of how God can confuse take the wise and make it seem foolish on this earth. And that's all I had to say. Thank you, guys. God Amen. bless you. Thank you, Brandon. God bless that's, you. that's great, isn't it? Amen. It's sort Amen. of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken did. Amen. Uh, the egg, if there was no chicken, the egg would not have hatched for the chicken to sit on it. So I've solved Amen. the world's problem right there. Go. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> Go ahead. Great question. Okay, yeah. Grace. Uh, Grace in California. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the program, Grace. Hi, um, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, In 2020, I got saved. I was a non-believer, and my husband was also. And um, right now, we're going through the process of divorce, and many of my new ways of being is offensive to him. And he said a lot of terrible things um, about my newfound faith. And I'm just wondering... Am I going to lose my salvation? Oh, wow, Grace. Thank you for calling Bert, us. Share with her, Bert. Grace, I want to tell you, the Word of God is sure. He said that we cannot be plucked out of Jesus' hand or the Father's hand, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're saved, and it sounds like you were. Now, you're the only one. You and God have to know that. I can't confer that on you. Alex cannot we can just tell you if you have repented of sin, the direction you were going, the sins in your life, you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and you have placed your faith, your confidence totally in him and ready for him to be Lord of your life, you are saved. Now, going through that divorce, I want to tell you, it breaks the heart of God. But you know why God hates divorce so much, it's not because he hates the divorced person or the person that's struggling through that. He hates it because of what it does. And so, yeah, there's reason for you to feel like, oh, man, this is this is horrible. But I want to tell you, rely upon him. Look unto him. Don't look elsewhere. Stay in the Word of God. Keep listening to songs of praise that honor him and hymns that teach you. And find you a friend that will pray with you through this, okay? And ask God if he can reconcile this marriage, 
if he can reconcile it, God reconcile it. Change this man's heart and make my heart what it needs to be. That's going, we're going to pray for that right now. Father, I pray for grace. I pray that the grace of God would be poured out upon her. And, Father, she would look unto you, the author and finisher of her faith. And we pray for that husband that's uh, that's looked like the divorce. I pray that the hand of conviction would fall upon him right now where he is, that he would feel that uneasiness in his spirit, and then he would remember that God loves him and cares for him and wants him to be right with him. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, Amen. thank you for calling. I mean Yes, it. God bless you. God bless you. Andrew in Louisiana. Welcome, Andrew. Hi. Uh, yeah, first off, thank you guys so much. I love listening to y'all. Y'all are always just a wonderful blessing to all of us who listen. Um, I have, <laughs> so my question is kind of broad, but I guess I'm thinking of the main points. Um, and I actually want to thank you. Uh, some, I don't know how many months ago, I submitted a question um, through online, uh, and you address it. And I thank you very much. It was regarding the... Um, the resurrection in Matthew 27 of those who were raised after him of the saints. But mm -hmm. that also ties in with what I was wondering, like the, um, the relation between the millennium and eternity and, you know, like the resurrection of the just and the unjust and like giving account of giving account to Jesus. I think, you know, including every sacred thing, you know, Ecclesiastes and the new Testament, but also like if we're, raised in the glorified bodies do we do we have that remembrance of sin that we have to give account or is that wiped away and then how can there be a rebellion at the end of the millennium okay. if we are gotcha. andrew thank you yeah. for call. alex don't have a lot of time you take that away you well you know what the millennium scholars often call it the end of the age of man and I think part of the reason that the millennium is necessary is because it is the summation of all things. There will be some children born. They'll have to accept Christ as well. And then once Satan is loosed, uh, then thrown in the lake of fire, and then eternity proper is ushered in. So really, in a way, Bert, uh, the millennium is a time where everything is fully resolved and dealt with, all the loose ends tied up. And the Bible says that into the ages we will learn the immeasurable grace of Jesus. Bert, in a way, history itself will seem like a grain of sand, whereas eternity is like an immeasurable mountain, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we sing that song, when we've been there 10,000 years, it's going to be when we've been there 10 million years. Think of that. And I, I'm, I, I can't get my mind around it, but I know eternity is forever and it's Joy called forever. eternal life forever and ever. Alex, it's been great to be with you today, brother. It really has. Folks, thank you for listening. Hey, be in church on Sunday. Yes. Uh, invite somebody, bring them under the sound of the gospel. Keep our nation in prayer. Thank you, veterans. May God bless you one and all. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.